25 minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
In the AM, by request here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 89, at 89, where did I get that? Rockland County at 91.9 FM, and around the world on the web at jmdm.org. By request, uh, Esachai, Mordechai Ben David, very timely in terms of the Torah reading off of the Kula Mahuvim CD. Ben Sion Schenkers, Akoyo Ducha, Shwebel Sharf and Levine had curry bone. You heard Menucha Vesimcha from Dove Farkas, the medley from Big Time Alterheim, and Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. JM and the AM on this Friday morning. It is the uh, 22nd of November, 50 years ago today, the assassination of President Kennedy, uh, which no doubt will dominate a lot of a news coverage throughout the day. The 19th day in the month of Kislev, the year 5774, Tavshinai and Dalid. It is Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev with candle lighting time at 413 on this Erev Shabbos. 413 is candle lighting time. And um, Vayeshev is always the Shabbos, not always, but there are exceptions, but usually the Shabbos before Chanukah. Chanukah begins on Wednesday night, uh, th- uh, 50 degrees outside with 73% humidity, winds of south at 6 miles per hour. Showers today and tonight, high today 57 tonight to 40 degrees. Shabbos looks like mostly sunny weather with a high of 46. And the big change in terms of really rough uh, freezing weather happens tomorrow night. I am not looking forward to that. Uh, 77 right now in Yerushalayim, 73 in Tel Aviv and Haifa, 82 in a lot. We're at 50 here in Jersey City as we say good morning. At JM and the AM, gotta thank, um, gotta thank David Fate and his uh, amazing staff at the Locks Cafe. I, 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 he he told us that the cafe, that the uh, restaurant at the Jewish Museum is called Locks L O X. So I don't know, do we call it Locks Cafe? Just Locks? Whatever it is, uh, he and his staff did an amazing job last night. We had a network event. At the um, Locks establishment in the Jewish Museum, and a big thank you to uh, David and his staff. It was just, it was beautiful. It was delicious. It was great, and I thank him very much. And I want to give a special shout out. Um, I want to give a uh, a special shout out to Cruder Photography. Uh, the folks from Cruder Photography, Mayor Cruder, of course, the. Uh, 
the principal there, uh, did a remarkable job for us, and uh, just as he did, uh, oh gosh, over a year ago at our big network launch. So if you go to uh, com, K-R-U-T-E-R.com, you'll see his work, and we thank him for uh, doing a great job last evening. Uh, got a couple of birthdays to remind everybody about. Yesterday, uh, the uh, wonderful man, uh, Itzy Weintraub of the Lower East Side of Manhattan, celebrated a birthday. So anybody who sees my dear father-in-law today, make sure to wish him the very best as his birthday celebration continues. And today, and this is especially important for the people at Mayanote, Mayanote High School, uh, today, Onina Siegel on the 22nd of November is celebrating a birthday. So if you see Onina later today, Wish her the very best as well. Uh, that's right, big week for us. Lots of birthdays to celebrate, thank God. Uh, and Mazal Tov, we say, from all of us here at JM in the AM. 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. It's a Friday morning broadcast. Uh, Malcolm Holmline and the weekly update about an hour from now. Rabbi Yudin, of course, with Parshas Vayeshev. whole bunch of stuff, as you would expect from us, on a busy Friday morning. All coming up if you keep it at JM in the AM.
Malachi, 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 Malachi,
Shame on. 
Cause we got the fire, fire, fire Yeah, we got the fire, fire, fire Oh, I'm in a 
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev with Diaspora. Uvo Ha'ovdim. Shimon Kramer with Sormi Shalom. Burn, done by the Maccabees. Their brand new single in honor of Hanukkah. Lenny Solomon had Sormi Shalom. Nochi Kron and Seischem Shalom. You heard Ellie Chait with Dror Yikra. J.M. the A.M. with showers today and a high temperature of 57. Candlelighting at 4.13 later on. 4.13. And this is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Galait Sal coming up. I want to thank Rabbi Adler and everybody who hosted us yesterday at TABC in, in Bergen County. And tomorrow, of course... 8.15 p.m. there, Hanukkah Tabayat at the brand new building in Teaneck with President Richard Joel of Yeshiva University delivering the keynote. Looking forward to that event tomorrow night. Um, so we thank everyone at TABC. Plenty coming up between now and 9 a.m., including the weekly update with Malcolm Honline. News from Israel is first. Galitzal News at JM in the AM. ZANG יש לי ספק גדול אם ראש הממשלה מתניהו מבין זאת ואם הוא פועל לכך. והמדינה מוכרחה לבצע שינוי לכיוון חברתי צודק יותר. הרצוג גבר על היושבת ראש המכהנת שלי יחימוביץ' בפער, בפער של 17 אחוזים. הוא גרף 58 אחוזים מהקולות לעומת 41 בלבד ליחימוביץ'. שר החוץ אביגדור ליברמן השתתף היום בכינוס באילת וברך את יושב ראש האופוזיציה החדש. מנצל הזדמנות לברך את בוז'ה הרצוג על הזכייה בפריימריז במפלגת עבודה. <אז> אני בהחלט מאחל לו הצלחה שהרבה שנים יישאר יושב ראש אופוזיציה, פעיל, נמרד, ואני מקווה שכך יהיה. ובעניין אחר, אותו ליברמן לא השתתף בהצבעת הממשלה ביום ראשון על מינויו של שי ניצן לתפקיד פרקליט המדינה. כתבתנו תמר ירושלמי מדווחת. מתשובת המדינה לעתירה שהגישה התנועה למשילות ודמוקרטיה עולה שליברמן הודיע שלא השתתף בהצבעה. העותרת טענה כי יש לדחות את ההצבעה על מינוי ניצן עד לקבלת החלטה אם להגיש ערעור על זיכויו של ליברמן, מחשש כי השרים יהיו מצויים בניגוד עניינים. המדינה הגיבה, היחיד שיש לו אינטרס מובהק בשאלת הערעור הוא ליברמן, באשר לאחרים, טענות העותרת הן ספקולטיביות, אבסורדיות ונטולות בסיס עובדתי מינימלי. עוזרו של שר החוץ האיראני מאשים את ישראל באחריות לפיגוע התופת בביירות באמצע השבוע שבו נהרגו 23 בני אדם. עם זאת הוא רומז שהיא לא פעלה לבד. ברור לנו שהישות הציונית היא זו שעומדת מאחורי הפשע הטרוריסטי הזה באמצעות סוכניה הטרוריסטים והכופרים, אמר עוזר לאחר פגישתו עם מזכ"ל חיזבאללה חסן נסראללה, מסר כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. 
המשטרה עצרה שני אחים מהדרום שבביתם נמצאו אמצעי לחימה רבים. כתבנו רמי שני. מעצרם של שני הצעירים בשדרות התאפשר נוכח מידע מודיעיני שהגיע לחוקרי משטרה בתוך מהלכי חקירה שנועדו לבחון את מקורות אמצעי הלחימה של ארגוני הפשיעה בדרום ובכל הארץ. החשש הוא כי אמצעים אלו יגיעו בסופו של דבר לידי גורמים עבריינים. מקור הרימונים ושאר הפריטים שנמצאו בידי הצעירים בני 20 ו-21 ייבחנו בין היתר בסיוע של המשטרה הצבאית. שני החשודים יובאו היום לבית משפט שלום לדיון בהארכת מעצרם. התחזית בסוף השבוע עלייה בטמפרטורות. ולסיום, מכבי תל אביב בכדורסל בצרות, אולי 50 סנט יעזור. ביקרתי בישראל פעם אחת בעבר כשהופעתי בשנת 2006 באיצטדיון רמת גן, הפעם ניצלתי את ההזדמנות כדי לבקר בקניון רמת אביב. בסך הכל אני רוצה לשתף פעולה עם הטובים ביותר ומכבי הם הטובים ביותר, אמר הראפר האמריקני באירוע משותף עם מכבי תל אביב היום. אלה החדשות שעורך הדר שיפר בצוות תום ויינטראוגלוק ואבי כהן.
A nice uh, mix of selections from Yehuda Glanz. You heard Bowie B'Shalom, Anim Zmirot, and Ki Eshmerah Shabbat. Perfect for an Erev Shabbos. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev with candle lighting at 4.13 on a JMNAM Friday. It's coming Wednesday night is Chanukah. Getting ready for the big celebration. Hard to believe that it's already here. Showers today with a high 57, same tonight, low 40. We're at 50 right now on a Friday at JM in the AM. Malcolm Homeline coming up at 740 this morning. We will do the uh, weekly update. Rabbi Yudin, of course, coming up. Naomi Nachman is set for another amazing edition of A Table for Two. Uh, she's going to be um, uh, on at 9 o'clock this morning right after JM in the AM. And Elon Kornblum of Great Kosher Restaurants will be on, as will Melissa Kay. From Little Miss Cakes, uh, who will be uh, joining Naomi. They'll catch up on Kosher Restaurant News, of course. And Melissa will teach everybody the best way 
to fry up donuts. Oh, yes. Hanukkah is in the air. It's coming up between 9 and 10 Eastern time on our stream with Naomi Nachman at jmnam.org. And courtesy of our friends of Kedem, we have an amazing and incredible Jewish music Erev Shabbos mix that will be on from 10 a.m. all the way until candlelighting time. Take advantage. A whole bunch of people have told me recently how they just leave it on in their office or in their home all day long on Friday listening to amazing Erev Shabbos selections. Hey, Jeff Braverman, our wonderful friend, is with us live via telephone. Jeff, of course, we know from the uh, music industry, the camping industry, the uh, so many different venues, and uh, he is uh, on the air because there is a, a big celebration, a big dinner coming up on Monday night, the inaugural 2013 fundraising gala for the New Jersey Y Camps. It happens at 6 p.m., this coming Monday at the um, at the Crystal Plaza on West Northfield Road in Livingston, New Jersey. Among the honorees, Bruce Tucker, Harold Grinspoon, our good friend Ron Bloomberg of the New York Yankees, who's been with us before at JM and the AM, and of course our good friend Jeff Braverman. Jeff, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thanks, Nachum. Thanks for having me. Good morning. A pleasure. Uh, so this is a new direction for the New Jersey Y Camps. They're actually going to be fundraising through a fundraising dinner starting this Monday night. You know, it is. It's uh, it's been a long time coming. I think, uh, you know, I think it finally it finally hit home that uh, New Jersey Y Camps does so much for so many people uh, across the board, and there's so many people who have hakaratatov, have appreciation for all that New Jersey Y Camps does, the various camps, the various programs, and the response has been unbelievable. And obviously, obviously a lot of people in our audience are familiar with Camp Nesher, which is a Y Camp, correct? Yes, yes. And there are many others. A lot of people may or may not be familiar with the entire roster, but there are a lot of others that are appealing to a broad spectrum of people in the Jewish world. Yes, you. I mean, you have, obviously, Camp Nesher, which uh, we're now actually heading into our 19th summer. We wow. Just, uh, pre- we just uh, previously celebrated our 18th summer. I can remember way back when, Nachum, when, wow. uh, when I sat on this show, actually, and talked about opening this camp, and you were uh, very generous with the, your time and the time of the station uh, to get the word out. And uh, here we are, thank God, all these years later. Um, we also... Um, and at this point, about five years ago, opened Camp Shoshanim, uh, which is our uh, camp for uh, girls, actually just about a mile down the road from Camp Nesher, uh, an unbelievable program directed by Esther Katz, and so many of the New Jersey Y Camp programs that appeal to uh, to Jewish uh, boys and girls across across the spectrum of Judaism. What is the, what's the name of the camp down the road? Down the road is Shoshanim. Ah, Shoshanim, right, right, right. Depending, yeah. Depending on what what neighborhood you live in, they may say Shoshanim, <laughs> but we, we we like to say Shoshanim. But I hear great things about it. Thank you. Well, Esther has done just a fantastic job. It just brings uh, you know camping specifically for girls uh, to a higher level, and uh, you know, she and her staff are just just amazing. Monday, amazing to watch that camp grow. A Monday night at the Crystal Plaza on West Northfield Road in Livingston is the inaugural 2013 fundraising gala for the New Jersey Y Camps. I, I mean, I know you're appealing to the entire community, but I'm sure the alumni of these camps have been targeted specifically, and uh, knowing them, have probably come through with some nice support. I got to tell you, I would have. I, I mean, I knew some people, you know. May have some nice memories, but the, the the messages and the comments and the support and you know all the various levels of of the actual money coming in, which yes is, is very important, but 
hearing what people have to say and how camp has impacted their lives. I mean, you and I both know how camp impacts oh, lives. Oh, no uh, question you know. about it. Uh, but, but just hearing what people have to say, it's humbling to say the least. And I'm sure, really th- I'm sure a lot of people are looking at it as a camp reunion also, which uh, makes it even more special. So. <laughs> they are. Halavai, all camp reunions should have... Uh, should have the baby lamb chops that the Crystal Plaza serves. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So we wished Mazel Tov to Bruce Tucker and Harold Grinspoon, and of course yourself. You're among the honorees on a Monday night. But tell our audience how somebody like Ron Bloomberg, a baseball legend, especially in this area, is so important to the Y Camps. <laughs> Ron is just this unbelievable individual. He, um, um, you know, several years back, the New Jersey Y Camps started a program, TSC, Total Specialty Camps, in which. Uh, we partnered up with various, um, you know, various big-time names from, you know, various you know, avenues in sports and, uh, and arts. Ron is, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the namesake of the Ron Bloomberg bas- uh, excuse me, baseball, um, baseball uh, TSC. Uh, he, he runs that show. He oversees it. He oversees the instruction that happens. And uh, I know you've met Ron. Ron talks about his buddy, Nachum. <laughs> I, I talks about you all the time. Um, he does a great job. The kids absolutely adore him. He gets right, right down in there with them. And uh, needless to say, the highlight is getting, to, getting a chance to touch and wear a World Series Yankees ring. That's right. He um, has one. Right? Which... Um, which as a long-time Expo and then Mets fan, I cannot, you know, I, I haven't seen in quite a while. But uh, but uh, one of those. But uh, kids, kids love the, you know, being able to get up close and personal with him. And you know, there's no errors about him. You know that. Yeah. The bottom line is he's the biggest kid on the field. That's the bottom line. He he, he is, and he does such a great job, and he's such a draw for the kids. And uh, you know, I was teaching them life lessons more than just uh, more than just about. Uh, baseball, and so you know, we felt it in our in our first year of doing this. You know, who more appropriate to, than to recognize you know someone of that level who who puts in his time and his efforts and his you know goodwill towards uh, towards kids in Jewish camping. Um, the, the website, the the best place, the easiest Y website would be for information about the event. Well, the the general New Jersey Y website is NJY Camps. With an S at the end. dot org, dot org, and that'll there's a link right there right. to uh, to participate and participate really at any level. I, I got uh, the most uh, beautiful donation from one of our campers, uh, our young boys. He sent me five dollars, <laughs> um, and with a nice little nice little note uh, to his camp director, and uh, you know obviously uh, you know that it meant the world to me. And uh, really any level, anything you can contribute, it's so helpful towards the work that all of us in New Jersey Y Camps. I have phenomenal colleagues, each, you know, directors uh, of their own camps and, and the various populations that, that we serve. And um, I just I just work with a terrific group, both at NJY Camps and, of course, my Camp Nesher family. Yeah, no qu- Look, Jeff, you've done an amazing job. Well-deserved yeah. honor. Enjoy Monday night. Our best regards to everybody. The New Jersey Y Camps Thank is you. an institution that we continue to salute and appreciate in terms of what they do for Jewish youth out there across the board. It's a kolakavod, and I'm sure Monday is going to be a very fun evening in addition to being a successful evening. Everybody out there to Crystal Plaza in Livingston, Monday night for the New Jersey Y Camps inaugural 2013 fundraising gala. Go to the uh, New Jersey Y website. All the links are there so that you could uh, uh, certainly donate, make a reservation, uh, toss in a comment, whatever you want. It's all there on the Thank web. With, I'm sorry? Thank you. You're right. Uh, yeah, I, I just thank you. I'm thanking you for getting the word out. A hundred percent. Enjoy and mazal tov to you, Jeff Braverman. 
Thank you, Nachum. Have a great Shabbos. Have a great Hanukkah. Oh, yes. Happy Hanukkah to you. And those who are wondering, because when Ron Bloomberg first told me about the World Series ring, so I'm saying to myself, wait a second, who who knows that era of Yankee baseball better than I? And I don't think he was on that team. And sure enough, he had been. He came back to the Yankees. I don't remember if it was for 77 or 78. He came back to the Yankees, and I believe he was injured the entire year, but officially he was on the roster. So somebody who made his name and reputation and was a great Yankee and a wonderful uh, liaison to the community, especially the Jewish community of New York, he ended up getting a World Series ring with the New York Yankees, which is really cool, and that's the ring that Jeff's talking about. It's uh, pretty neat when you're a kid and you get to meet somebody wearing a World Series championship ring. Uh, mazal tov to all the honorees on Monday night. Candlelighting at 4.13. It's JM and the AM on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev. Wednesday night is the holiday of Hanukkah. Make sure to join us. And, of course, Thursday is Hanukkah. I don't know if you know that. Anybody hear this thing, that Hanukkah and Thanksgiving are together on Thursday? Malcolm Holmline coming up with plenty more. Uh, with, I should say, with our weekly update and plenty to talk about regarding the events of this week. A big thank you again to our friends at TABC uh, for the great show yesterday. Mazal Tov is their Hanukkah Tabayit. takes place tomorrow night in Teaneck, New Jersey. Happy birthday to Yonina Siegel. Yonina Siegel, if you see her today at Maya Note, you got to wish her a happy birthday. Today she is celebrating a birthday. Happy birthday, Yonina. And yesterday, world's number one father-in-law, Mr. Itzy Weintraub, celebrated a birthday. So if you see him at any point this weekend, you got to wish him a Mazal Tov as well. I want to thank uh, David Fate and his entire staff at the Weissman Cafe Locks Restaurant, which is located in the Jewish Museum. We had a network event there last night, and it was spectacular, and he and his staff uh, were responsible for it being spectacular. So I thank him for an amazing job, and a big thank you to Mayor Kruder, uh, who with his photographic genius, again, uh, um, uh, was there to take photographic evidence of our amazing get-togethers. So thank you to Kruder.com, K-R-U-T-E-R.com, for all his assistance. And again, a big thank you to um, the Lox Cafe and Restaurant at the Jewish Museum in New York. We really had a beautiful time there last night. JM in the AM at 7.30 on this Friday morning with Baruch Levine.
J.M. in the A.M., Mendy Werdiger with Boi Vishalom, Eitan Katz with that amazing Kalbach selection of Boi Vishalom off of Unplugged, volume number two. You heard Lipa off the O.L. concert with Hashi Venu, and we'll see everyone at the O.L. dinner Sunday night. Looking forward uh, to that annual amazing event. Ohad had Birkat Habanim, and of course Baruch Levine with Anim Zmiros to open up that set. Uh, both Malcolm and I apologize for getting off to a late start with the weekly update. We'll try to make it up with uh, quality, if not Quantity. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with candle lighting time at 4.13 on this Erev Shabbos. Wednesday night, of course, the holiday of Hanukkah. And people have asked about the weekly update schedule for next week. I don't think there will be one. It is Hanukkah Thanksgiving weekend. Again, I don't think so. Any changes won't to you, obviously, over the beginning uh, of the following of uh, this upcoming week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of President of American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you. We have news from Israel, and it's political news. Uh, we have a, a new head of the Labor Party, Yitzhak Bougie Herzog, who is the son of President Chaim Herzog, who I'm sure many people heard of or remember. Uh, is now has now defeated incumbent Shelly Yakimovich and is the head of the Labor Party. Matter. Not immediately. Uh, it's it's a chance for them to try and rebuild. Uh, Bushy is a very popular figure. He served in many governments uh, in the past. Uh, although he was relatively young, when, very young when he started, so he's still relatively young. Uh, I think the Labor Party by everybody's estimation under Yakimovich uh, declined further. So he will try to be more assertive and, and reunite the party, uh, which is very divided today. The, the, uh, an analysis point of view, the downfall of the Labor Party in recent years, or the decline, or the spiraling downward, however you want to put it, due to what? You would say it's essentially due to what? Well, the, it, for one, it became moribund. Or second... You know, it had been ruling for so long that they took things for granted. And the creation of Kadima and other parties that drew from the center, which was essentially where they uh, drew from, or even the center-left, uh, it was much clearer when it was Likud versus Labor. Well, once you started introducing all these other parties, they detracted. And it was, a, a, I think, weak leadership as well. Uh, the United States and uh, and Iran and uh, am I right that again a week later no deal is uh, is completed at this point? There is no deal. There are seemingly real problems that are emerging in the in the discussions. Uh, there are there's talk that they're the Iranians are demanding a recognition of the right to enrich, which uh, the Western powers don't want to do. Uh, it is not a right. It is something that uh, countries can do. They can enrich, but it's not recognizing a right is as if it bypasses all other considerations. Right. Oh, Malcolm, by the way, let me lay the foundation for another angle to this discussion this week uh, before you continue, and that is uh, uh, what, ha- what has gone viral, I guess we would say, in this era. Iranian Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ayah Khamenei uh, ha- broadcast a speech live in Iran on Wednesday, and one of the quotes was, Zionist officials cannot be called humans. They are like animals, some of them. The Israeli regime is doomed to failure and annihilation. And he referred to the Zionist regime as the, quote, rabid dog of the region. You understand these, this is the representation. On the other side, they'll make a deal with dates. This is uh, something that we've talked about for a long time, about, you know, the, quote, new face, new 
uh, charm offensive, all of the things that we ascribe to some of the Iranian uh, leadership. But here you had, he he said that Israel is like a rabid dog. Uh, The Zionist officials can't be called humans. There are many other things. And coming from the ultimate decision maker, this is not something you can dismiss. You know, they're very good at playing good cop, bad cop, that uh, Zarif, you know, will say something good, and then his the, the deputy will say something, you know, raising the demands. And the, the reports that we get, this new IA report, that they were laying the groundwork for 2,000 more advanced uh, centrifuges, that there is another facility uh, that was not disclosed. That uh, I mean, many things that indicate that, in fact, while they are talking one way at, right. in Geneva, they are, in fact, moving the other. And here you did not have condemnation coming from Western powers, Western interlocutors, about this kind of comment until uh, sometime the United States did ultimately do it, and uh, the French uh, rather quickly uh, responded to it as, as outrageous. But it tells you what the true nature of, of uh, this regime is, and that nothing has changed, and that the, the the technicalities of discussing, you know, the details of what what is involved in the negotiations and what the issues are, um, often uh, obfuscate the reality, mm. are the fundamental realities that these guys are just looking to buy time, and uh, they they're rejecting some of the core issues and will take advantage. And that's the point, that when you're negotiating with somebody who's a legitimate party wanting to find a solution, these guys are only looking for ways to get around this, anything that the United States, the P5 plus 1, will impose on them. Right. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. By the way, someone mentioned to me that Khomeini in that speech actually discussed how strategically Iran is playing around, or playing along, I should say, you know, with these negotiations with the West, but in reality, of course, we're not going to stop our nuclear production. Now, those quotes I didn't find. Are you aware of whether that really was included in his speech this week? There were references where they talk about the importance of the nuclear program. You know, Secretary Schultz wrote an amazing piece this week, and he said, while they're smiling and encouraging you on, and then they'll cut your throats. <laughs> and he warns about what the fundamental conditions, and again, exactly goes to your point, that what he, if you read completely what he said, not just the one excerpt, right. you'll see fundamentally where they stand today. And, and you know, we're seeing it on so many things, even just in the last week. If you look at Khamenei's website, he has an infographic on there where he talks about nuclear power as the key to the future, as uh, for them, as an aspiring great power, and for prestige, power, influence, etc. So it's not because they need it for domestic energy. They see this as the essential to their driver hegemony. So I always ask you this, or at least I have over the last few weeks. So what what can we expect now in the next few days? I mean, as we continue to look whether this deal is imminent, it seems that his comments are not going to going to affect it. Right? The West is staying silent in terms of what he said, so that won't have any effect. First of all, we have a very big development. That was the statement yesterday by the majority leader of the Senate, Democrat, uh, Harry Reid, mm. who said that the uh, that they will come back on December 9th from the recess of the Senate and that they will move on the legislation. This day after the meeting with the president where he asked them not to, and he said this is the clout that we have, this is what brought the, them to the table, 
and on December 9th, we're going to start the markup of the bill, and we're going to we'll bring a bill to the floor, which will, uh, and it was back on a bipartisan basis, and I know that Chuck Schumer and, and Menendez and uh, Mark Kirk and Lindsey Graham and others all played a key role in this, has already passed the House. Uh, by overwhelming majority, and I think on a bipartisan basis, it will as well. And this will send a very strong message. Just the announcement by Reid yesterday has to be read by the Iranians uh, as a message that what happens if they don't move ahead. And all of the talk, you know, that people thought there was going to be an instant uh, deal uh, coming into to Geneva and saying that we've all agreed on this and we only have to work out some details, well, he's, read Khamenei when he talks how we fight against arrogance. Arrogance is the United States. Right. So what does that do with Kerry's position then in all this? I mean, is he able to continue negotiations? Is he more handcuffed than he was? Well, the negotiations are continuing in Geneva, and you have the, the parties there talking. It doesn't handcuff him. I think it empowers him. Mm. And, and I believed all along, and when we met with him, told him that they did you know, the administration take ownership of these bills because it's, it's the strongest arrow in their quiver. That is, is the strongest weapon that they have uh, short of a military action and also making clear that the military option is real. Right. So it, 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 what it does is it makes the imminent deal possibly more favorable for the West, more, more palatable. More leverage, more leverage for the West, and uh, if they're smart and then we, we use it right, and, you know, the French, many people had doubts about, uh, are actually acting in somewhat of a consistent fashion for now. Uh, and and it, you know it, it also goes to the question of where the United States stands, how the United right. States is seen, um, and you know one of the important parts that I believe is that that we have to move this away from being an Israeli issue. Netanyahu right. is the one I think, and one must credit him for having affected the debate. It might have moved much more quickly had he not put down some markers the fear that Israel will, will really strike. Yeah, but some have written that uh, that he went a little too far and that Bibi, the prime minister of Israel, is being marginalized somewhat. And now, if in fact we're moving toward a deal, even if it's a better deal for the West, does that in fact make him a little bit more on the margin? Well, I think that the, it's not the, that it marginalizes. Israel's always marginalized by the world. But the, I think what, what he did is that he forced uh, the debate and the discussion and didn't allow just this uh, roller coaster to go down and, and rush through the, the, all the boundaries into into a deal. Right, but my point is but at the end I think it's a yeah. mistake to make it so Israel-centric. Mm. And I, we have argued against this all the time, that it shouldn't be about Jews in Israel. It has to be about America's national interest to show why this is bad for the United States, for the countries in the region. I mean, the Saudis, the... Jordanians, the U Gulf, all the others, they're all more scared of this than Israel is. And is that really easy for him to do? Like all he has to do is, you know, re replace the word Israel with the U.S., or it's really hard well, in his but position? But it's not for him to do. It has to be done by others and, and particularly by the government. And I remember when George Bush used to discuss this and would say, you know, this is important because we have to defend our ally Israel. I told him, well, you know, I appreciate it, but it doesn't help us because it's not about Israel. Right. It's got to be uh, to understand what the real nature of the threat is. Read Read what they say. Read the stories about that and, and all the new facilities, all the capabilities, what they're doing in terms of terrorism. I mean, this is not some sort of a, of a new new regime coming in. It's the same Khamenei, just with a different front guy, and they they will put up put on as many clowns as they can to perform before the West as necessary, while they're going to move ahead on their program. By the way, uh, then credit to Naftali Bennett. 
because he at least made the point as he was touring this week and continued to make the point that you know he's most concerned about a nuclear suitcase in Times Square, which I guess is you know if, if you're going to be an Israeli official who's trying to do what you're describing, at least you know paint the threat as being against the biggest city in the United States. That's exactly right, and he he was very effective in his presentations on this because he he did then he was on the hill uh, and tried to move the focus into. Um, into a broader sense, into into what this is really about, and we know that they are, um, you know, with this the, the discussion of twenty percent enrichment at five percent, which makes mm. people's eyes glaze over. Right. These are really important issues, and I think the West was rushing into a deal that ultimately would not have been would not have been good on, on many grounds. One is that the that the sanctions, once you start rolling them back, it's very hard. To ratchet them up again, it can be done, but it, it's still very difficult. And the Europeans and others would take advantage of it. And everybody starts rushing in because they don't want to be left behind if the deals are, are, are being made. And to, to, to and then, then as well on the production side, unless you have the dismantling of the infrastructure as the goal, that they it's not because they can have three percent or five percent because you know that they're going to violate it. So. I think that that uh, pointing these things out and getting people to understand what's really at stake here and how they they are cheating all the time right. on the committee. Or as Bennett put it, uh, once you turn on the faucet, it's very hard to turn it off. Now I want to tell you something, Malcolm. For a guy like me, that was a much better example than using the word centrifuge and all the other stuff we keep tossing out there. <laughs> it was much easier for me to understand. Was that leaky faucet at home? Right? I'm telling you, it's, I can relate to it so much better. It's a good strategy on his part. By the way, did you hear? that members of the Israeli media, and Mayor Weigarten puts it to me this way, that this was their takeaway from Bennett's appearance on CNN. You know, he had taken a, a, a First Temple coin with him. They that it was illegal. Correct. Let me just explain to the audience that the Israeli media was concerned that he had taken an antiquity out of the country without permission. Were you a little surprised that that was what they were focusing on after his appearance? Uh, I was. I'm never surprised by what the Israeli <laughs> media does, but this was, I mean, so ludicrous. First of all, he purchased it, and it was his. He bought it at a legitimate uh, store in Jerusalem, according to what he said. Uh, I, I have bought coins. I know how many millions of people have done so. And uh, his message was on target, and perhaps they didn't like the fact that he was getting such a good response, and that right. people felt his message about uh, his answers to Amanapur on the, on the settlements that you can't say I'm an occupier when I'm at home. Yeah, one cannot occupy his own home was the quote, right? Right. And he spoke at the president's conference this week and, and also was very effective in his presentation. By the way, speaking of the media, how often have you told us and my audience here to, you know, to write the letters and to send the emails and everything else? Uh, the New York Times apologized for the way it covered the stabbing of Israeli soldier Eden Atias last week, showing more sympathy for the mother of the Palestinian murderer and for the victim and his family. In response to hundreds of letters of complaints, Times editor Margaret Sullivan admitted it was a poor choice to print an emotional and sympathetic picture of a Palestinian mother at the head of an article about the killing of a 19-year-old Israeli soldier. So I guess a response like this this time was effective, huh? It's always effective, and if we did it more, there would be more on notice. And maybe if people would write about uh, some of the ludicrous columns that have been appearing under some pseudonym for Tom Friedman, because uh, mm. I can't believe that Tom Friedman would write such stuff. Uh, and uh, if they got it here, they have to be put on notice. And remember, the numbers of subscriptions for newspapers are falling, so they don't want to alienate right. their subscribers. 
And the same thing is true on the positive side. When there's something good and somebody does, does write something good, write them and write the papers and encourage them to do it more. By the way, is there a big difference between Tom Friedman today and Tom Friedman 10 years ago or not much? I don't know whether, you know, you have to do a content analysis. But in your opinion, isn't any better. But in your opinion, has there been a big shift or not necessarily? I don't believe it's a, it's really such a big shift. I just think that that it's become just so more blatant in, right. the, in these columns uh, lately. Uh, William Webster, former head of the FBI, he is also now stating that Jonathan Pollard on, humanitar- on a humanitarian basis uh, should be um, uh, released from prison. Uh, I know we always discuss when uh, some public official, especially one involved in U.S. intelligence, uh, uh, says a statement about Pollard, we, we judge if this is a uh, a big one or not. What's your reaction to Webster coming out and saying this? Well, I think every person who comes out, what he, what he said is he wouldn't object to it, right? as far as I remember. Right. And, uh, but, but those things are important because it... it, it, it the president has to go and get the approval of the different agencies. It was always an out to say we couldn't get it. And you saw it with Jim Woolsey, the former head of the CIA, who, who had opposed. You've seen it from many others over the years who've all come to the point which essentially says whatever danger you wanted to say he represented, he does not represent anymore. He just began his 29th year. It's really a humanitarian issue, which, as you know, is what I've urged people argue all along, that it's this it's just an outrage. It's a violation of rights. It's a violation, and there's no perceived danger that anyone can can rationally explain to me. The uh, by the way, to Bennett's credit, uh, in certain forums during his visit, he also made sure to uh, uh, include Jonathan Pollard, and I, I believe in Washington as well. I believe he uh, brought it up as a um, as a plea from the Israeli government. And there was a and there was some, uh, or I should say, from him. I shouldn't say the Israeli government. And there was also some controversy where where Shimon Peres had made a statement earlier in the week. The president of Israel had made a statement earlier in the week that that Israel has never made a request of the U.S. that wasn't granted, and then people took objection to that. I, I would not take this all too seriously. Because, I, mean, I, I you know, he's ninety years old, so gotcha. sometimes he says things that he. I know that he has raised it, and I know. Right. I was there. I know what prime ministers have done. Right. Understood. Uh, can you explain this story to me? According to the Times on Wednesday, dozens of Americans have traveled or tried to travel to Syria to fight with the rebels against the government of President Bashar al-Assad since 2011, according to American intelligence. It's a subset of the mostly, radic- mostly radicalized young Muslims with Western passports entering Syria from Europe, North America, and Australia, a group that numbers roughly 600, according to the officials and classified estimates from Western spy agencies. Now, you told us of people from the Middle East, certainly other Middle Eastern countries, and Europe who were going. I didn't realize this was a phenomenon from the United States, but is it a really, really small number from the U.S.? A relatively small number, but increasing. You see this, the instance of, of Americans of Somalian background who, who have been arrested engaged going out, of, especially out of Minneapolis, I think, go, going to Somalia. There are a 1,000 people fighting at least, at least in Syria, 1,000, who have European and American passports. So they can travel and they can get around. And, you know, it doesn't take many people to carry out vicious acts. We saw what 19 people did on 9-11, and maybe there were others behind them. But, you know, a, a murder at a school, an attack, uh, setting up a network. And these guys, remember, unlike others, are coming back as having had uh, killers who were out in the fields shooting and killing and training as, and indoctrinated with this extremist ideology 
by al-Nusra and, and al-Qaeda affiliates there. Uh, you, of all people, will not be surprised because you know for how long I've talked about this issue, that this is something people are not taking into account. I've raised it with European and American and other leaders for a long time because we were getting the reports of, of all these guys who were training and how many uh, young Frenchmen went after the killing in Toulouse that were inspired by Mohammed Mara. Uh, the, the Turkey is now apoplectic because all these young Turks are running across the border, and he knows they're going to come back to, to Turkey radicalized. Mm. This is a, a serious, serious issue. And there are countries that have taken measures, meaning that they have hit squads there to eliminate anybody who, who thinks they're coming back. Uh, the Western countries don't do that, but they're also not doing anything. And I know that they're worried about it. And the United States tries to monitor this, but there has to be much more, has to be far more aggressive, or we're going to pay a heavy price. Wow. Um, was it, in fact, this Sunni Shiite rivalry that caused the uh, most recent bombing in Beirut this week? Uh, I, I'd say that that is always underlying some of the things that have developed, but it, I think in this case it's, it's more complicated. Uh, this was a strike against Hezbollah and for and retaliation for what they're doing in Syria, some say by by uh, terrorist groups or groups that took credit for it. And we don't know yet whether that's uh, valid or not, but it was a it was a pretty blatant attack and it could have been had it been more effectively carried out, it would have been a much higher toll. Uh, this is uh, and there are ongoing incidents in um, in Lebanon that doesn't get much coverage. There's resentment about the the Sunni Shiite, and you have uh, attacks by Hezbollah forces along the border of Lebanon, and that feeds back right into the country, so they strike back. And so the Sunni Shiite thing is a sub-theme, but I think that this is much more blatant about other things. We uh, we always point out how Hezbollah essentially controls southern Lebanon at this point. Uh, do they, or if it's not they, then who is it that's controlling Beirut at this point? Well, Hezbollah controls the country still. But they withdrew some of their forces from Lebanon, from Beirut, because of the, you know, that they are stretched in other places. Uh, but essentially, they still certainly control southern Lebanon. They control the government, but there's much more resentment. There's a lot of anti-Hezbollah feeling. Uh, there's uh, even but amongst their supporters because the kids, the, the loss of life of hundreds and hundreds of uh, Hezbollah in Syria. So what do we call them? Lebanese rebels? Like who? If if, it, if the bombings an attack on Hezbollah, who's bombing them? Uh, other other uh, terrorist groups or groups that that are affiliated with Al Qaeda or or Al Nusra, you know, they they are Sunni, but they are, are attacking right. both on political grounds and the religious divide is one that is ever present. It's opposition within the terror community, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, well, they have they have splits. Right. I know our focus is usually more on international things, but you've discussed safety, especially in this area and Jewish communities, for quite a while. People have asked me to ask you about these knockout crimes that some people are saying uh, uh, are, are happen or uh, knockout incidents, I think you know what I'm referring to, are happening even more in Jewish neighborhoods. Is there any evidence to suggest that? There is uh, certainly evidence of the incidents in Crown Heights and in the, in the one and two in Midwood, but it has happened to non-Jews as well. And the, the danger of this is that it becomes a widespread phenomenon. And the second danger is that people don't report it. Right. You have to report every attack, any kind of attack, anything that happens, because the statistics alone will will validate increased coverage in the communities that are affected, and, and that applies to, uh, you know, robberies and, and attempted robberies, which people tend not to worry, not to want to report, or if they break in your car. But if you don't 
file a report, then it doesn't become a statistic, it doesn't become uh, or go on record. And you know that senior citizens, many of them, would be hesitant to report it, so we have to encourage them to do so. Many people are hesitant for right. a lot of reasons to report. I mean, in most cases, because they're just too lazy and don't want to be bothered with the, what, what they think is entailed. It's not entailed. It doesn't entail much. And this is not a new phenomenon. There was the punch to Jew in, in Europe. We've right. seen it there. And, and if it goes unchecked, it can become something that will affect everybody just walking down the street. You will, you will not have any way to anticipate it, and you just get punched down. And they don't steal, they don't rob you, which proves that the point is only to attack. And finally, Malcolm, we know what happened 50 years ago today, and uh, I'm sure it'll be great discussion throughout the day and, uh, and tonight uh, throughout this entire country in terms of the Kennedy assassination. Uh, many, I am sure, are curious uh, what you could tell us about uh, the relationship between uh, John F. Kennedy and the State of Israel, and in general, you know how he's viewed historically when it comes to "quote unquote" Jewish issues. What would you say in that regard? I would say, unlike uh, some others who are sometimes seen in a better light, and then history shows that the, the secret dealings, quiet dealings, they were not. I think that history has uh, has enhanced the image of Kennedy and Israel and Jews. He was surrounded by many Jews in his administration uh, and uh, clearly had uh, feelings and strong and warm feelings for Israel. I, I, I did meet him once uh, as a student and he, he had such immense charisma and the very fact that 50 years later people talk about where they know exactly where they were when they got the news of his, of his uh, the assassination and how this, how profoundly and for young people who don't understand it, it had such a profound impact across all lines and all divides, and this was the Camelot, this was new hope for America, new vision coming out of the Eisenhower era. So the, the, um, the, its significance is very great, and he did want to move the relationship between Israel on foreign aid and things into, into a new dimension. Uh, all right, Malcolm, where were you? I was in, at school on the street hearing it from somebody and saw people crying and essentially just falling down on the street crying and heard what happened. Yeah, National Mourning was an apt description, to say the least, and it lasted for quite a while, in some ways all the way until today, right? Exactly right. Unbelievable. Uh, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents. We'll let everyone know regarding uh, next week, the week after, etc., in terms of the weekly update. Have a wonderful Shabbos, Malcolm, and thanks for joining us. Good Shabbos. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vayeshev. Candle lighting at 4.13 on this Erev Shabbos. Wednesday night is Hanukkah. That's right, next week, Thanksgiving weekend and Hanukkah. I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of the fact that Thanksgiving and Hanukkah are together this year. But in case you haven't heard, let me be the one to tell you the news. Uh, Naomi Nachman has an amazing show coming up at 9 o'clock this morning on the web right after JM and the AM. She'll speak to Elon Kornblum about uh, great kosher restaurants, kosher restaurant news. And Melissa Kay from Little Miss Cakes about the best way to fry up donuts. Hey, Hanukkah's on the way. we got to know how to prepare those donuts, don't we? Uh, coming up all day long on the stream, of course, an amazing mix of Erev Shabbos selections. A big thank you to our friends at Kedem. Uh, we've got an amazing mix of selections coming up uh, all the way until candle lighting time. Tomorrow night, Avrami hosts the pre-Hanukkah Saturday Night Seagull. 
tomorrow night on the stream at jmtheam.org beginning at 10 o'clock Eastern Time. And, of course, Matis has a great edition of JM Sunday set for 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream this coming Sunday. Make sure to stay with our programming all through the weekend. You will not regret it. This time each and every Friday morning, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayeshev. Before we discuss Parshas Vayeshev, however, I would just like to review some of the basic laws of Hanukkah that, please God, is coming this forthcoming Wednesday evening. And so let us review. We find in the Gemara Shabbos on Chof Aleph Amid Beis 21b, Tan Rabbanon, the rabbis taught that beginning with the 25th day of Kislev, there are eight days of Hanukkah, on which it is forbidden to eulogize and forbidden to fast, even if one has yard sight. When the Greeks entered the sanctuary of the temple, they defiled all the oil in the sanctuary. And when the Hashmonoyim dynasty proved victorious, they discovered but one undisturbed jar of oil with the seal of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, and there was only enough oil to burn for one day. A miracle occurred, and they kindled it for eight days. And the following year, they established these eight days and made them a festival for Hallel and Hoda'ah, for praise and thanksgiving. Therefore, we relive the past. We don't only remember it, but we light candles in our home to literally perpetuate and remind us of the miracle which took place. The halacha tells us that men, women, and children who have reached the age of chinuch, who understand the significance of lighting their Hanukkah, are required to light the Hanukkah candles. Now, it's interesting to note that regarding the Ner Hanukkah, we find something in the Gemara and in the Shulchan Aruch which differs from most other mitzvos, And that is that all mitzvos have a concept of hidur mitzvah. That is, if you can do the mitzvah in a greater, more enhanced way, we should so do it that way. So for example, the Gemara in Bavakama, Davtes Amaralis, teaches us that hidur mitzvah to improve and to enhance the mitzvah, you would have to spend up to a third more. So, assuming you could buy an esrog for $30 and you have the additional monies, you'd be obligated for the purpose of Hidr Mitzvah to spend $40. You wouldn't be obligated to spend 
more than that. If you want to, you certainly could. But the obligation would only go until a shlish or a third more. Note, this is not the case with Ne'er Hanukkah. The mitzvah, and this is very important to know, is Ne'er Ish Ubeso. Ne'er Ish Ubeso means that each and every night, one candle would and could suffice per night. So, if a person only had one candle, they could recite not only the first night, the three blessings, but each and every night they can recite the two blessings over that one candle. Ideally, we go for more. And the Talmud speaks of the Mahadrin. And the Mahadrin was that candles were lit in accordance with the number of people in the household. Four in the household, four on the first night, four on the second night, etc. Mahadrin min mahadrin is that each one lights in the house, and the idea is that each night we increase the number of candles reflecting the day of Hanukkah, the fourth day you would light four candles, and so forth and so on. But note, now that we have these three tiers of the mitzvah, mahadrin, which means to enhance, and mahadrin mina mahadrin, the most and highest form of enhancement, look how much more this is than the shlish, on the, than the third. On the second night already, we are doubling that which is the initial mitzvah, and the basic mitzvah. And by the eighth night, we have gone eight times as opposed to simply a third. Now, why might this be the case? And the answer I'd like to suggest is based upon our appreciation of Hanukkah in general. That is, the Bach, in his beginning of his commentary on Hilchos Hanukkah, asks, why is Hanukkah different than Purim? Purim, there's an obligation to have a su'uda, a feast, and on Hanukkah there is no obligation. And the answer that he gives is as follows. A, by Purim, it was the Jewish body that was threatened, and therefore we gladden the body by having a su'uda, a festive meal, On Hanukkah, there was not a physical threat, but a spiritual threat. Namely, if a Jew was willing not to circumcise their child, and not to keep the Shabbat, and not to keep kosher, they were not harmed physically. So, given that the threat was a spiritual one, we respond with lighting of the candle, Ne'er Hashem Nishmas Adam, the Ne'er, the candle, is reflective of the soul, and therefore the observance of the holiday is primarily with the candle. However, the Bach writes that given, why did we lose the control over the Beis Amigdash to the Greeks, his language is Nisrashlu Ba'avodasam. Unfortunately, the Beis Amigdash lost not only its excitement, 
it became second nature to them, they didn't appreciate it, and it became humdrum. And therefore, now that we received it and we got it back, oh no, we didn't do any of the mitzvos at that time just to be, quote, yotze in the, more, in the minimum form. We did it in the best way possible. Best proof from the letter of the law, you didn't need a miracle. Tuma hutra betzibur, if the majority of the community are in a state of impurity, which they were, and the majority of the oil was impure, from the letter of the law, we could have used impure oil. We didn't need the whole miracle in the first place. Or, when they found one jar of pure oil, they could have taken the wick. They knew it would take them eight days to get more oil. They could have taken the regular wick and reduced it and made it especially thin and only have one-eighth of the size of the wick and that one jar of oil could have gone for eight days. But the answer is no. We looked and we looked and we looked until we found that one jar of pure oil. We didn't want to use the impure and we didn't want to use the wick of a smaller nature. So, as we went out of our way, God reciprocated in kind. And that's why the entire laws of Hanukkah reflect this kind of not being satisfied with the bare minimum, but for a person to go way beyond. And it's for that reason that, interestingly, the halacha says that if God forbid a person doesn't have oil or candle, they have to go and literally show ale big, and they have to if necessary, sell their garment. This is true, amazing, for a rabbinic law, but it's not true for biblical laws. And the answer is, once again, the whole miracle of Hanukkah came about because we were ready, willing, and able to be Moser Nefesh. Okay, here we go. On the first night of Hanukkah, so we light one candle, and on each night, as we pointed out, we add, we put the candles in from right to left, and we light the menorah from left to right. Now, the time of lighting the menorah is ideally with the end of Shkia, the end of sunset, or Tseis HaKochavim, when the stars have come out, approximately 5 o'clock in the New York City area at this time. Now, if one had to light earlier, and we'll talk about lighting, please God, for next Shabbos Hanukkah, when you have to light early, we'll talk about it next Friday, but if one had to light Early, the earliest one could light with brachos is from Plaga Mincha. Halakhically, the last hour and a quarter of the day, which would be approximately a little bit after 3.30 in the afternoon. However, if you light at, if you, for extenuating circumstances, a little bit after 3.30, the candles have to, or the oil has to be sufficient that it can go until 5 o'clock, which is the ideal time for lighting, and then to be able to go the half an hour, which is the minimum amount of time that the candles or oil are to be lit and 
light on each night of Hanukkah. Okay, now, the menorah is to be placed in an area where it can be seen ideally in the outside, the passers-by. This is called Persume Nisa, and publicizing the miracle. If one lives in, in an area where people will not see it from the outside, then by all means it is to be placed in the house, in a place where the members of the household will see it. There is an interesting opinion of the Mishnah Brura that ideally one is not to light the menorah unless there's somebody up and present at the time of lighting the menorah. So much so that the Chafetz Chaim says that if people are sleeping, shh, wake one individual, ideally to be there with you when you light the menorah. Others disagree and say you can even light the menorah if you are alone with nobody present with you. Before one lights the menorah, one recites on the first night the three brachos, the bracha of the Hadlik Nair, the second bracha of Sha'asanisim, and finally the bracha of Shachyanu. If one did not recite the Shachyanu the first night, one can recite the Shachyanu any time, but only at lighting. You do it on the second night, the third, you can't recite the Shachyanu during the day of Hanukkah or any other time except by the lighting of the menorah. Um, regarding the philos of Hanukkah, we add to our um, tfilos on in the Shemona Esrei and the Alanisim and in the Birkas Hamazon as well, the Alanisim, both of which are placed in the bracha of Hoda'ah, which is the blessing of thanksgiving. We say Hallel, full Hallel, on all eight days of Hanukkah, and the Hoda'ah, the thanksgiving, is placed in the blessing of thanksgiving. Every Shmona Esrei contains a bracha of modim, of thanksgiving, and we continue that with thanking Hashem specifically, Alanisim, for the miracles which took place at Hanukkah. And this is true that we add in the second blessing of the Birkas Hamazon as well. As we mentioned, there is no obligation to have Hanukkah parties. However, given the nature of the Jewish calendar and Hanukkah and Purim are the only holidays that we can really drive on, it's wonderful that family and friends do get together and celebrate Hanukkah together. The Ramah says that ideally we should enhance the gathering by singing appropriate songs of celebration and Divrei Torah to make it a much more meaningful um, um, gathering. If one is visiting and having dinner at family or at friends, they should light the menorah 
in their own home where they're going to be sleeping. If they can do it before they go, fine. If not, when they come home, they should light the menorah in their own home. If you're sleeping in somebody else's home, then A, ideally, Bring a menorah, get a menorah, light the menorah in the home that you are sleeping. If that cannot be done, then you become a partner with your host by giving your host even a small token of money that you become a partner in his lighting of either or candles or oil. I just want to share with you one thought from Parshas Vayeshev. Parshas Vayeshev is the parsha whereby I... What happened when Hashem said to Avraham, you should know that your children are going to be strangers in a land which is not theirs, at the Brisbane Absarim, chapter 15, in Bereshis. And this starts how? Rabos Machshavos Blavish, Vasas Hashem Hisokum. God directs history. And the directing of history is getting Yosef down to Mitzrayim. And Yosef we know goes down to Mitzrayim by being sold there by his brothers. I just want to focus on one quick phrase from the parasha. The Torah tells us that Yaakov sends Yosef to see how his brothers are doing. He sends him to Shechem. He comes to Shechem, the brothers are not there. A ish, a man, Rashi tells us, it's the angel Gavriel, finds him and says, Matavakesh, what are you looking for? So he says, Es achai onochi mevakesh. I am looking for my brothers. Literally, he's looking for Reuven Shimolevi. Our rabbis understand on a much deeper level, he's looking for the relationship of brotherhood. He wants that relationship which unfortunately has broken down. The brothers are jealous of him. The brothers are envious of him. Father gave him the coat. He had the dreams. He wants that there should be a close-knit relationship between himself and his brothers. And what does the gentleman, the angel, say to him? Nos umizeh. Literally, they have traveled from here which means that they're not found in this location, or more deeply, the brothers are not interested in that. And I'll add the word, yet. What's going on with Hanukkah? Hanukkah, we say in the Alanisim, thank you, Hashem, for that which you have saved us. And miraculously, we won the victory. And you gave over Timayim Biat Tahorim, literally the impure to the hands of the pure, which our rabbis tell us refers to the Greeks into the hands of the Jewish soldiers. Rishoyim Biat Sadikim, the not yet good into the hands of the righteous. This refers to the Misyavnim. This refers to those Jews who unfortunately were looking to assimilate. And finally, Zaydim this refers to those who, as is translated, they were the wanton ones, namely those who were not yet diligent and didn't follow the oral law. They were given over to Oske Sora Secha. The Sadducees, the Tztukim, were given over to the Pharisees, to those who kept the oral law. Esachai Onochi Mevakesh, going into Shabbos 
Vayeshev, going into Chanukah, we should realize, and when we light the menorah, what we are proclaiming, we're proclaiming the pride that we have in the continuity of our people, but we put it near the entrance by the window, inviting others to look in, inviting those who are not yet affiliated to come and to join, to reach out, to show that we care and earnestly yearn for Achai Rochim Evakesh, the unity and brotherhood within our people. And I pray that through our celebration and thanksgiving during Hanukkah, this will bring us one big step closer to this ideal fulfillment of Esachai Elohim Rakesh. Shabbat Shalom and a happy Hanukkah to all.
Friday morning on the Zerif Shabbos, candle lighting at 4.13 later on, 4.13, official candle lighting time. Hanukkah begins on Wednesday night, we can't wait, it's going to be an amazing Hanukkah 5774, thank God. 50 degrees, showers today with a high of 57, rain continues through tonight, then mostly sunny for tomorrow, the cold freeze or the, uh, the big change of weather happens tomorrow night. That's when we get down to a low of like 20 degrees or so. Community calendar online, plenty to check out. If you go to the jmandtheam.org website and click on community calendar, the New Jersey FIDF tribute dinner information is up there. That's happening tomorrow night. I wish I could be there. It's an amazing event. We will be, of course, at uh, TABC for the big Hanukkah Tabayit. Uh, looking forward to welcoming everybody there. Uh, Richard Joel, president of Yeshiva University, is going to be speaking. The... Um, the Baragola event, the big evening of entertainment with Baragola is happening tomorrow night. And uh, and the information on our website, if you go to the community calendar section of jmdm.org. I noticed that Rabbi Chaim Richmond of the Machona Mekdash, the international director of the Temple Institute, is in Williamsburg, Brooklyn tomorrow night. Now, if you go to my website, there, if you go to jmdm.org, I should say, there's an email address and a uh, phone number, but there's no address. Um, but there's an email address and a phone number if you want information about Rabbi Chaim Richmond, who is an amazing, especially this time of year, we're talking about Hanukkah, an amazing uh, lecturer about the Beit HaMikdash. Uh, you can check that out on the website, jmnam.org. Again, click on Community Calendar. We'll be there at the Ohel Dinner on Sunday night. Information up there as well on the November 24th on our Community Calendar. So check it out. Community Calendar Online does have... A whole host of information regarding stuff that's happening in our community all through the weekend. Uh, coming up, Naomi Nachman is going to be on starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time on our stream. She's got an amazing program. Elon Kornblum is going to join her. Great kosher restaurants. They will talk about the latest in restaurant news. You'll have that. And uh, she'll also be joined by somebody who has some expertise when it comes to, uh, when it comes to frying donuts. And that's uh, Melissa Kay from Little Miss Cakes. That's all happening between 9 and 10. And then, of course, an entire day on our stream of incredible Erev Shabbos selections. Make sure to be tuned in at jmtheam.org. Avrami tomorrow night with Saturday Night Seagull starting at 10 o'clock. Matis Sunday morning at 7 uh, with JM Sunday. A whole host of great programming all through the weekend. Make sure you stay tuned to our stream 
at jmandtheam.org. This is from Pure Soul. Off of Pure Soul, a song that I bet you'll hear a couple of times toward the end of next week at least. Bimei Matisio from our Hanukkah edition to our liturgy at JM in the AM. By the way, a big thank you to David Tafe and everybody at the Locks Cafe at the Jewish Museum. He hosted an amazing gathering for our network staff last night, and it's much appreciated. And a big thank you to Mayor Kruder as well at Kruder.com for his incredible photography. Happy birthday, Yonina Siegel, who's celebrating a birthday today from all of us at JM and the AM. Time to take a Shabbos at JM and the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Say good job Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day Together with The Holy One Say special blessing On a cup That's filled with wine Man, I 
Sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world in the web, jmnam.org. By the way, I got a um, I got a note from listeners Cena and Uncle George, and they say mazel tov to their amazing nephew Avrami Nyman of Cedarhurst and his amazing Kala Ita Eric of Pisaic on their marriage last night. Mazel tov to the entire Nyman and Ehrlich families, and a special mazel tov to Robin and Rabbi David Nyman. Awesome to be part of the Simcha, and a special mazel tov to Grandma Roberta Eisenman of Suffern. May she and everybody see great nachas from the whole mishpacha. So there you go, ending the week with a great mazel tov. Naomi Nachman is next on the stream with Table for Two. Great music all day long on our stream. Erev Shabbos selections. Make sure to keep it up at jmnam.org. I've run me tomorrow night with Saturday Night Seagull. Mat this Sunday morning with JM Sunday, and I am back here on Monday. Don't forget Sunday night, Yeshiva League Sports Court Report with uh, Elliot Weiselberg beginning at 7 a.m. 7 p.m. Eastern time on our stream at jmnam.org. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Until next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.